Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Monday, December 13th, and this will be episode 44. Just as a friendly reminder for the time being, I'm going to see how I like doing one episode per week, see if that makes it uh, easier for viewers as well as myself, and if it doesn't really work out, we'll go back to doing two episodes per week. That in mind, I do have my first special edition episode planned. It will be coming out short, well, around the new year, and it is going to be the best in comics 2021. And there may even be some worse in comics 2021 in there if I'm really feeling funky. But that will cover a variety of categories such as uh, best in writers, best in artists, uh, new up and coming names that I've seen trending a lot this year. Um, series that did really well, events that did really well, although I don't think there's going to be any of those on this year's best of list. There'll be some favorite variant cover artists from the year, and then finally some people who can just do it all, such as those who write and draw. Best one-shots of the year will also be a really nice category to go over. I have some excellent stuff planned for that, so keep your eyes and ears open once we get towards the end of the month, and I will have that special edition podcast posted. But for the time being, we'll talk about what we're going over on this episode. As usual, it's going to start off with the news, which I've split into four different categories this week, starting with trailers, and then we have movie and TV updates, general industry news, and finally, rumors, um, of which there are a number of things for each of those categories that I think everybody will get something from. Um, and I think next week, we will have the Marvel and DC full March 2020 solicitations ready to go so we'll be able to go over that but I do have in the general industry news just a couple of things that we've already seen previews of for Marvel so we'll talk about that and yes it is X-Men related. After that we will be going into the comic book picks from the past week. These are comics that came out December 7th for DC Comics and December 8th for everything else. I'm actually only talking about four, well five different comics here and those are in order of the length of the discussion more or less. We have Dark Knights of Steel number two was fantastic, Inferno number three also fantastic. Hellions number 18 was its series finale and the long-awaited return of a fan-favorite character, as the solicitation actually says. Devil's Reign number one, some of the last stuff for Chip Sarsky at Marvel, and then Daisy number one, which is an indie comic coming from Dark Horse by Colin Lorimer. We'll talk about all about why that was a really fun read before going into the comic book polls for this coming week. These are going to be comics coming out tomorrow, the 14th of December, and Wednesday, the 15th of December, for anything that is not DC. There's a number of one-shots, single issues, first issues, final issues, and really exciting continuations. And we'll talk about all of those in due course before wrapping things up with, you guessed it, Hawkeye Episode 4. This premiered on the 8th of December this past week on Wednesday. It was called Partners, Am I Right? And we are going to go all through the episode, all the details, all the comics references, all the Easter eggs, all the theories, everything you could possibly want to know. We are talking about that in this Hawkeye episode four discussion. So that's what you have to look forward to on this episode. 
Before we get started, let's talk about how you can find me online. My Instagram is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I have the comics, which I can attest to having pulled, I believe it was 13 short boxes. We moved from one side of the house to the other. We have six long boxes and I think 13 short boxes. I'll have to count again, but the... Ooh, I do have the comics. <laughs> uh, the Twitter is Savage She Geek. I don't do too much on there, but if there are any podcast updates to be had, that's where you will find them. And then my website is www.sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. You have to have the Weebly in there because I do not pay for that. <laughs> and there you can find all of the comic book writing that I did before I started the podcast. It pretty much just transferred from being written material to spoken material for the podcast. Um, so you can go back and look at all of that older material discussions and pull lists and pick lists and reviews about comics that are all on the blog. I have my, as I've mentioned many, many times now, my reading orders for some favorite female characters. Madeline Pryor is one who is going to be relevant in the X-Men universe for at least a little bit here. So if you want to know about her character, you can spend probably, what, hour and a half to read her entire appearances uh rundown that i have on my website and you will have read then everything that happens to her in the comics ever it's better than a wikipedia article because it's issue by issue not just going a, a big chunk of issues explained in one sentence it's literally issue by issue if you want to see everything that happens to her and all of her appearances there's only like 200 of them so again it'll take like, you like an hour and a half Ileana Rasputin aka Magic is also going to be pretty relevant here soon if I'm not mistaken she will be the next Sorcerer Supreme in the Marvel 616 comic universe um, so if you want to know about her I don't have every single appearance of hers read and summarized because that's thousands but um, I do have all of the key appearances read and summarized um, and a great deal of the chunks of issues summarized loosely what her role in that era is so um, most of the Ileana stuff I have something to say about and then Clea is going to appear in the MCU uh, any moment now, <laughs> Multiverse of Madness, we'll, we'll get some kind of confirmation that she'll be there. And again, like Madeline, I do have every single issue that she was ever in summarized so you can get all the information there could possibly be on her in one fell swoop. That is all on my site. So continuing there, uh, the last thing you can find, uh, well, one of the last things you can find are my podcast notes, which I've been trying to post weekly after I post the episode. So if you would rather read the material that I go over in the podcast, or if you are hearing impaired, you can still access what we go over in the podcast without having to listen to me. Uh, finally, you can find links to everywhere this podcast is available to listen, which is pretty much everywhere, including YouTube, uh, where you can also find figure review videos that I post. Um, I've been doing a lot more, I've been trying to do a lot more recently after a pretty solid dead period of not posting on YouTube besides the podcast at all. Uh, but, but the last couple of months, we've I've done the 2020 
HasLab Sentinel reveal, the Marvel Legends Tigra Grigrand unboxing, and she is fluorescent orange. Um, the Shadow Meow Schools for Fortnite, which I don't play Fortnite, I just have a black cat, so I had to have that. Those are the most recent reviews. Uh, I also did a tour of our collection under Blacklight, which was super fun. Um, and I did a video covering Captain Carter, who is one of my top Marvel Legends figures of the year. And most recently, I posted a comparison video between the Marvel Legends Psylocke slash Quanon and the imported Moffex version, which was released fairly recently. And spoiler alert, the Moffex Psylocke makes both the Marvel Legends versions look kind of pretty much like a Toy Biz action figure circa sometime in the early 90s. So check that out if you're into action figure collecting at all. I do have a Patreon for the podcast, which does support the YouTube as well as the podcast. It's all in the same boat there. Uh, it's on there under Sensational She Geek. It's set up there for our donations to the podcast. Uh, kind of in the way that John Centuries thinks about it on his Word Bloom podcast. You know, whatever you may feel this is worth for you. The cost, price of a comic book a month, the price of a movie ticket, subscription service, whatever, whatever. It's completely voluntary. Um, I will never have any expectations if you pull out of the donation and then go back. Nothing. I don't expect anything. It's just there if you feel like you would like to support the podcast financially. Um, otherwise, the best way to support it would be, like usual, just sharing the podcast, uh, posting it, liking, favoriting, rating, doing all of those things. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, I know if you rate it five stars, it starts to get promoted um, in its category, which is really cool. So even if you don't like it, you can totally rate it five stars and write some nasty comments in the actual description of your rating and it'll still get promoted and I would super appreciate that um, but anyway that would be that's how you can support the podcast otherwise I also have uh, my Kofi cash app Venmo and PayPal all linked on my link tree which will appear at the bottom of every episode's description Still working on the stickers. Um, I mentioned we are moving across the house. There has been a bit of a uh, kerfuffle among our living situation. So I'm having to put some money to, to the side for emergencies. And the stickers have been put off probably till the new year. Um, on which my birthday is in the new year. So I'm hoping I can finagle that in my favor. Um, finally, I do have a favorite Redbubble sticker design up for sale, which does say a woman's place is in the comic shop. Uh, it is a sticker, but on Redbubble you can get that done as literally whatever you want for the most part. So uh, you can check that out if that sounds at all interesting to you or yours. Christmas is coming. Um, and I have a couple other designs on Redbubble if you would like to check them out under She Geek Shop. Which leads us to the news. Once again, the things will be coming for the news are four categories. It's going to be trailers, movie and TV updates, general industry news, and rumors. Things that are not confirmed, but we've been hearing a lot of talk about that. So starting off with trailers, we did today get our very first look at Naomi, which is coming out January 12th, I believe, on The CW. It's a little bit odd that we are a month out from that show and we are only just getting our first look. They put out, I think, a single promotional image. There has been very little chatter. Um, and finally, this is not even a real trailer. It is simply a first look. A month out from a TV show coming out. 
I'm trying not to see parallels between skin color and CW's effort in marketing, but yeah, there's a parallel there that can't be ignored. So um, I'm hoping to be able to support Naomi and watching it on the CWC or website, whatever it is. Um, and I would recommend that if you would like to see more shows like this representing a wider audience of comic fans and readers, then I would suggest you do the same as well, because it does not look like they're putting much effort into the marketing of this. Although that being said, Naomi has already gotten renewed for a second season. We're a month out from the premiere of the first season, and we do have it as being renewed for the second season. A little bit odd, definitely unusual in the TV industry from what I've seen. Um, but I definitely still don't ride, don't, don't um, let it just ride out without watching it because, you know, things can always change and they can take that away, I'm sure, just as easily as it was given, if not easier. So uh, support Naomi, no matter what news we've heard about it getting a second season, because we need more shows like that to be coming out in the industry always, for sure. The second trailer we got this week, or rather the first trailer, the other one was just a first look, that we had a a bit of a different trailer from Warner Japan on The Batman. This is Matt Reeves' The Batman, which is coming out early next year. Um, this trailer had a lot of footage that we've already seen, but a good amount of new footage. Now, uh, one of the things I was most excited about here was that the new footage very clearly tells us, as I had hoped, that this Bruce Wayne is a recluse. Yes, I am excited. Uh, and the time is done of the Playboy Tony Starks uh, being basically your Bruce Waynes. Come on. If, if this was a proper, let's face it, insane guy um, in a cape running around <laughs> fighting criminals uh, the, the, the way that, you know, he would have to be to be Batman he would not be popular with proper society. There is some deeply seated issues. Christian Bale's Batman, looking back at that, he was far too sane. He was far too put together in a normal conversation between human beings. He was so normal. There's no way a dude who goes out at night, dresses a bat, comes out in the daytime and is just like a normal dude you can have a conversation with. So I am here. I am so here for not just recluse Batman, but adult emo Batman, which honestly, they give him, what did I say? It was the, um, the emo Peter Parker from the Spider-Man movies, right? It's the third Spider-Man movie. <laughs> the emo Parker haircut is what they gave Bruce Wayne in this. It's amazing. You could say that it's like cheesy and, you know, goth and late. No, this is the proper representation of Bruce Wayne. This is how he would really be, you know, if it was real. <laughs> there are also some very clearly, uh, some big secrets that the Riddler seems to have learned about the Wayne family, potentially about Thomas Wayne specifically, that's Bruce's father. Uh, and the Riddler seems to be threatening their legacy or Bruce or something with, with these, whatever this secret is. Between the clips where we see no more lies being written on a victim of his, presumably him saying, or I don't know, um, 
there are some pictures that had the words, uh, if I only knew then what I know now scratched into them. And there were pictures of what I assume had to be young boys at the Wayne family orphanage opening based on context of newspaper clippings and articles kind of around them on the little poster board. Um, you get a clip of, I believe, the Riddler saying, if you are justice, please do not lie, um, which sounds like it is directed probably to Batman. <laughs> and then finally, um, we get the sins of my father, question mark, written on the floor during Bruce's personal investigation. Oh, and we also get um, a bit of allusion to some kind of deal with, uh, between the Wayne family and the gangster Maroney. It would definitely seem that Bruce is somehow being punished for something that his father did, his, his, the legacy before him did. Um, so that's really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm curious if it's going to be something that is from the comics, because there's a couple of different things they could be pulling from the comics. Um, I think any of them that I'm thinking of are all alternate universes. But it would be really cool to see some of that pulled into this Matt Reeves sort of universe. We also, in this trailer, which I think is very interesting, they put this in the Japanese, in the Warner Japan released version, we have a very clear tease of the Joker as we see a metal grate is lifted between Batman and someone in prison who is saying in a deranged voice that he's been, was he's wanting to see him or waiting to see him, something like that. Either way, he's been trying to get this meeting to happen. Um, so it's someone who's obsessed with Bruce or Batman. So um, a little bit, it's gotta be the Joker. I, I don't know why they would put that in there um, as a tease for the Joker very clearly if that's not what it's going to be. Because I would just disappoint fans, right? Um, so that's all very exciting stuff with this new footage from the Batman. Moving on to our movie and TV updates this week, we have the official release date for The Marvels, which is Captain Marvel's sequel, and that is going to be February 17th, 2023, which for me personally is pretty exciting because my anniversary is Valentine's Day. I didn't really do that on purpose. The 14th. Um... So that will be a nice little anniversary present, right? That'll be pretty fun. We can go see a movie, have a date night, make make a date of it. <laughs> also, when Brie Larson did this announcement on Instagram, she was holding what looked like possibly a handmade pendant, but the design on it, we can easily assume is possibly the logo for uh, the Marvel's movie. It's all three designs for Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau, and Ms. Marvel in one. We had kind of seen versions of this before, but this looks like a really, really smooth put-together version, uh, which is why it makes me think that it's possibly official. And while we're on the topic of the Marvels uh, and anything Captain Marvel movie related, I would just like to remind people, the Captain Marvel movie, while I was not satisfied let's go with that uh with that movie it had to happen <laughs> if they put it off any longer we probably never would have gotten it uh so it had to happen it's unfortunate that it went the way that it did but that movie had to come out not just because of the putting it off but because god damn it they need a friggin female superhero movie it was whatever year it was what was it 2018 i don't know but 
late enough in history. Man, just let it happen already. So, uh, what I'm saying here is this next movie is a completely different creative team behind the camera and behind the script and everything like that. We actually have the director and the writer of the recent Candyman movie from this year is in charge of all of that stuff for the Marvel's movie as well. And she did work uh, on Candyman with Tayona Paris, who does play Monica Rambeau. So this is bound to be leagues, leagues better than the first Captain Marvel movie. And part of me really thinks that um, they're calling it the Marvels because they would like to kind of shy away from the negative feedback that the Captain Marvel movie got for a lot of reasons. And while I'm on this note, um, so we all know that Captain Marvel showed up in the end credit scene of Shang-Chi, right? Um, and she had her long hair. And it's been years later or whatever, but why did they ever give her the goddamn short hair? It looked so bad. It was so clearly a wig. It looked like she spent four hours in a hair studio getting it done like that before coming to the battle. It was stupid. And you hear the Russo brothers apparently spent months arguing about whether she was going to have long the, the short hair or not. They should have had one look at what it was going to look like and known. Bad idea, guys. This looks like shit. Moving on. We also have this week confirmation of a... We are we already knew of the Penguin spinoff show from Matt Reeves the Batman, but this week we also have confirmation of a Gotham... PD spinoff show, which the creators are insisting is not going to be the same as the Fox Gotham series. That being, that creator being Joe Barton, he's going to be the showrunner for this Gotham PD show, uh, which obviously is going to be focused on the police department of, you guessed it, Gotham City. <laughs> there is basically no information about the series or if it's going to feature or star Commissioner Gordon or anything like that. Um, personally, I think it'd be pretty cool to see Barbara, but what do I know? It's, it's too early in his legacy probably for that. But, um, but this guy, uh, Joe Barton, he did also confirm on Twitter, yes, it will be very, quote, very different to the Fox Gotham season series, which ran for five seasons on similar characters. This was, it was a bit of a Batman. It was a bit of a Bruce Wayne TV show pre-Batman. And he had all his rogues gallery in there when he was a child. It was a bit odd how they were doing that. Re retelling the Batman story, I guess. I don't know what they're trying to do with that, but this is not going to be like that. Um, and we are still getting the Penguin series with good old what's-his-name as the Penguin, and we don't have much information on that either, except that it was going to likely follow as we all assume, the Penguins rise to power in the Gotham criminal underworld. So pretty basic stuff there. Uh, exciting to know that they are so uh, they are so firm in their knowledge that the Matt Reeves Batman is going to be a success that they're already putting out and working on two different spinoff shows from it. So that is hopefully all very good news. Also confirmed this week by uh, writer and director of Shang-Chi, Destin Daniel Cretton, that Shang-Chi is going to officially get a sequel. He has been quoted as saying, we're just tossing very loose ideas around and we'll start to hone in on something soon, hopefully. 
He also says, I love these characters and we simply, and we have simply introduced them into the world in our movie. So to be able to start from there and explore them even more is very exciting to me. Um, and then there's actually been some announcements that he has a multi-year deal with Marvel TV and he's going to be doing some other projects. Now there was some rumors a few weeks ago that one of those projects or one project coming from Marvel TV in the down the line is going to be focused on Zai Ling and the Ten Rings uh, or the Ten Rings clan rather which she is now in charge of um so that is probably a pretty good guess as to one of the things that he'll be doing here but it does say multi-year deal with marvel tv with multiple projects so it could be that he's working on that as well as other things so with this interview that i found um online it says that his response about pitching ideas they, their question was did they pitch ideas um, or did you pitch them any ideas or did they come to you with the ideas? How did all of this work? And his response was that it's a little bit of both. Kevin Feige and the team there definitely have a clear idea of where they're taking the MCU. And they're also open to pitches and things that we're passionate about. One of the shows that we're creating was initially an idea I had that was bouncing around with our producer while we were shooting Shang-Chi and it just happened to fit in the trajectory of where we're going with the franchise. So it is a little bit of back and forth. That doesn't really give you too much insight on what the show might be, except that obviously they're going to be Shang-Chi related. Um, and it's very exciting to know that there is all of this positive Asian representation coming um, on in multiple formats. We're getting not just a sequel to Shang-Chi, but we're getting basically spin-off TV shows here created by the same guy who made Shang-Chi a success. So this is all, again, excellent news. A little bit on the less good news side of things, uh, Cowboy Bebop is announced to have been cancelled after one season. Now, I haven't quite finished the season, um, but apparently it was given a cliffhanger ending that revealed a fan favorite crew member. Um, I, I'm, I mean, it's obviously, um, they're certainly talking about Ed, um, which I heard there was some mixed feelings about. Um, so while the original anime only had one series and a movie, it would be my assumption based on Ed only just showing up that there's still plenty of material for the live action show to have expanded upon and added into the live action universe from the anime universe. So it's a little bit disappointing. What Netflix had to say about it was, quote, based on a viewership versus cost of renewal, the review process, which determines whether the cost of producing another season of a show is proportionate to the number of viewers that the show re receives. So basically what that says is if it's not a smash, smash hit, there is no way that they're going to be uh, continuing it and it will just be cancelled. And that's just the way that it is in the age of streaming. Moving on now to general industry news, we have two major points that we'll be discussing. The first is the Wonder Woman video game announcement from the Video Game Awards, and the second will be the few things that we know is coming from the Marvel March solicitations and what we know about those things so far. So starting off with the Wonder Woman video game announcement, 
Uh, it did. We did get a couple of new titles at the Video Game Awards. Honestly, not too many that interested me. I'm not a huge gamer, but there was this surprise announcement from Monolith Productions on a Wonder Woman game. It's going to be the, the studio's second stretch into DC Comics type games. Uh, the first being 2012's Gotham City Imposters. Wonder Woman has not had a solo game since 2017, and that was not even a console game. That was a mobile and PC-only game called Wonder Woman Rise of the Warrior. They're hoping now that the full-length console game we're assuming this is going to be, it has not been confirmed what platform this is going to be on yet, um, that this is going to allow them to devote a lot of time and energy to exploring her Amazonian history and developing the character beyond whatever limited iterations we've seen in the video games across DC properties so far. Um, similar to Insomniac's Spider-Man, Monolith is hoping that their Wonder Woman, well rather fans are hoping that Monolith's Wonder Woman is going to draw on her rogues gallery and pick out some really fun characters that we haven't seen uh, in her in her time in her in her portrayals for a good while or not as popularly put in their portrayals and kind of get them to be a little bit more fan favorite villains she's obviously he heavily draws her history from greco-roman mythology so there's a lot of that it would be a crossover and make it very theatrical so that fans will have a nice aesthetic draw to the series some of the I, I, I read some of the suggestions that people had for the villains of this game. Uh, the most obvious ones people had were Ares, the children of Ares, Cheetah, and Cersei. Um, I was looking through, it's not, we're not going to see probably Dr. Poison. Uh, we did see Dr. Poison in the first Wonder Woman movie. I don't feel like they're going to pull from something we've seen recently. Uh, and that kind of knocks out Ares as well. Although children of Ares, if they're going to establish Ares as already having been a thing, they could bring in children of Ares as his successor. I honestly don't know that much about them. So uh, whatever they do, um, Paula von Gunther is a Nazi. I can't recall if we saw her in the Wonder Woman movie, but we actually, Grant Morrison had a version of her in their Wonder Woman Earth One uh, volumes, which was a very interesting, oh, if you're gonna read any Wonder Woman, read that. It was so, so good. Um, but their their iteration of Paula von Gunther was very interesting. So I just, that was just the name that I, that popped into my head as like, that's a villain I know she has, who, who has a bit of an interesting history outside of canon. <laughs> but one that would be really cool, or rather there are a couple here that I, I wrote down that I think are gonna be really, would be really cool to explore. This is all speculation, of course. The game is happening, we just don't know anything about it. Uh, Grail would be a pretty cool one, because Grail is the daughter of Darkseid. Obviously Darkseid himself could be a villain for it, but Grail would be a neat one. And then we could do Hecate, who is a, the, uh, the goddess of witches. Um, uh, they could. They, she's had some stuff in War of the Gods, stuff like that. Um, been hasn't been relevant in too long. Uh, and then there's Zeus, of course. Which, if you look up Zeus's uh, description on the Marvel or not the Marvel, the DC wiki, it's a, it literally says this quote: "The King of Olympus, Zeus is a serial rapist who tried to reshape humanity through mass slaughter." 
Diana helped her patron Athena dispose depose of the deranged king. Damn, no punches pulled there. I love it. Uh, Zeus would be kind of a cool one if you wanted to get real dark <laughs> with how, yes, that is exactly what he is. <laughs> that could go kind of dark. Uh, Hera, of course, being Zeus's wife, Hera and the Amazons have kind of a clashing history at times. Dr. Psycho uh, would be a really fun one. He appeared recently, I think, I know he appeared in the Sensational Wonder Woman comic and he appeared in the, well, he was kind of a main character in the Harley Quinn animated TV show, of all things. Uh, Max Lord, I would really hope not to see. Yeah, we've seen enough of Max Lord in Wonder Woman history. Liar, liar is his daughter. She only disappeared. We're not going to see her. Um, Superwoman of Earth 3 is a very interesting one because that is the Wonder Woman uh, I believe. No, Superwoman of Earth 3 just clashes with our Wonder Woman, right? Um, so that would be kind of an interesting one, but my favorite, I have two favorites here. Uh, Warmaster with her four horsewomen, or the Queen of Fables. Both are two villains. Warmaster and the four horsewomen kind of popped up during the Steve Orlando, well they did pop up, not kind of, <laughs> during the Steve Orlando Wonder Woman run uh, during Rebirth. So, somewhat relevant to recent history and then queen of fables is a very irrelevant um character but she has kind of been become recently notorious for um being an example for female characters who were kind of written off because they were quote too powerful uh and there's a history of that happening in comics it's quite sad um uh, but that would be a reason to put her in this video game because people i'm sure have that on their mind when they hear her name and would be really interested to see her in some kind of comic property again uh that that is my number one choice for the villain of the wonder woman game i'm probably not corrected that at all i'm literally just guessing <laughs> but it's cool to speculate <laughs> Um, the DC Marvel solicitations are probably going to be out next week if I had to kind of guess, but there are three things that we know are coming from Marvel. Uh, one is that Captain Carter is returning to Marvel Comics. There isn't too much more on that one yet, but it's going to be announced with the Mar March solicitations apparently. And then we know that there are the new era, the new era of X-Men, tongue twister, of the X-Men is coming out with Destiny of X. Now, they're trying to make this look like it's still in line with what Jonathan Hickman was doing. It is not. Do not think that that is what's happening, even though all this stuff about the designs and the visuals of this is pulling from Hickman's era, but whatever. Um, Destiny of X, this era, is going to have eight total comic books coming out, including Immortal X-Men, Knights of X, Legion of X, X-Men Red, a new series of Marauders, and then the continuing series of X-Men, X-Force, New Mutants, and Wolverine. There is your eight. I will be at least checking out the first few issues of Immortal X-Men, Knights of X, and Legion of X, probably X-Men Red 2, to see what they're all about, how they're going to be going. Uh, but otherwise, if I don't like those, I plan on only reading New Mutants by Vita Ayala and Rod Reese. Um, and Wolverine, if they finally transition that to being a Laura Kinney soli book, solo book, as I firmly believe that it should be, since she is literally the one going by Wolverine right now. Logan is Logan. 
So what Jordan D. White, he's a senior editor at Marvel, has to say, and I am not a fan of his, which we're not going to get into right now. Um, he says, the journey of the Krakoan age is far from over. Our long-term plan that all our creators, <laughs> not all, have been working on in our secret council chamber. Okay, this is just cheesy. Has only just become come, begun to come to fruition. With the filling of two empty council seats, the reign of X has ended, and it's time for mutant kind to reach for their destiny. Now, there is an image that goes along with this that was created by Lino Francis Yu, who is a Filipino artist, and it was colored by Sunny Go, who is a, I believe, a Japanese colorist um, who worked together a lot. And it is a, basically, it's an homage to the 90s era um, Jim Lee spread of characters who were in X-Men comics during that era. If you know what I'm talking about, if you're aware of that thing, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, and so this is a big spread of characters who presumably are going to be very relevant in Destiny of X. Um, going for, so there's a lot of them on here, going from left to right. We can see that there's Iceman. We've already seen in Marauders, uh, Jerry Duggan putting into place some, some things about Iceman and his powers being a little bit off the charts. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. Above him, we have Magic with her uh, soul sword in its full form. And then we have Madeline Pryor as the Goblin Queen. We have Destiny. We have, I believe that's Gabby Kinney. Uh, let's see, Sunspot. Cable as his old man version, which I'm still kind of bummed about. Um, there's Col not Colossus. Colossus is on here. Uh, but there's Cyclops. There's Beast. You get Laura up at the top. You got Sinister Legion. Um, and then we have Juggernaut, Kate Pride. There's Colossus, Nightcrawler. Uh, you got both the Greys. Let's see. It's, it's uh, Rachel Summers and the other one. Oh, Hope. That's the other one. Rachel and Hope are both there. Let's see. Domino, Gambit, Magneto, Forge. I mean, I'm just listing off names at this point, but um, Omega Red is on here, which is really interesting. We have Deadpool on here, which is a bit odd. Uh, we have Dakin on here looking enraged, and I'm hoping that's not going to mean that he's going to turn into some savage version of himself, because please, we don't need that. Uh, Bay standing by herself, which is a little upsetting, because I'm probably right that Doug is going to die. Um, a bunch of characters with swords, which I'm guessing are, is going to be part of the Knights of X. And then Storm in her new costume, which I have to say I really, really like, except for the goddamn hip cutouts. What the hell is that? Russell Dodderman, that makes no sense. It looks so uncomfortable. She just has random chunks taken out of the hips and partial buttocks. It just, it's, I, I love the outfit, just the hip cutouts, just whoosh, don't get it. it I don't get it. Uh, she also seems to be the leader of the X-Men Red, not just because of the placement of that title on the photo, but because she does have a red X-Men logo on her suit, which makes me definitely assume that she is going to be a part of that team. And that leads me into Immortal X-Men. Now, this is only one of eight of the titles that are going to be running through what they're calling Destiny of X this late winter... I guess, <laughs> or they're saying spring 2022, but it's starting in January. So, or is it starting in March? I think it's starting in March, right? Cause this is all March solicitations. <laughs> 
Immortal X-Men, though, they gave us a little bit of extra information on because it's a big deal. It's by Kieran Gillen and motherfucking Lucas Wernick. So I will probably be getting this for as long as it runs because that team just kind of blows my mind. Kieran Gillen has been hitting home runs on everything he has touched comic-wise years now, I think. Um, And Lucas Wernick has just been seducing us artistically for however long he's been doing art but uh really fantastic team lucas wernick i think most recently you can see on the trial of magneto issues alongside leah williams's writing so you can but that's honestly it looks very rushed for his style that's like low tier lucas wernick uh, art um if you want to see how like some really great stuff he did some issues with her um in x factor so find his x factor issues they are um but kieran gillen does have some stuff to say about uh this series he's putting on with lucas wernick it's a bit of a long quote but i have it here it says so the match is lit and immortal x-men is a book about the burning to speak in a hickmanian idiom this is the new avengers to gary duggan's avengers This is the book about Krakoa and the Quiet Council with all its muffled screams. It's about a group of people, some of whom are convinced they're in the West Wing, some of whom have, I should say whom, whom have designs to be in House of Cards and at least one of whom knows they're in Veep. It's big ideas, politics, fights, and fashion, lies, creation, and destruction, all told across the widest possible canvas in time and space. It's some characters I've written before with the volume turned up. It's me falling in love with some characters I've never touched. It's me somehow talking Marvel into paying me for having this much fun. Returning to the Inferno nod, Lucas Wernick is basically fire on the page. He's someone who absolutely nails the tone of the book. When we do cover, when we do quiet and real, the characters have so much charisma it feels like stars are on the page. When we do big and impossible, he makes it real and takes your breath away. Mark Brooks on covers is another treat. His gifts in creating form and charisma are obvious, but he's throwing ideas at the page with huge velocity. People are going to be pouring over his first cover like it's a piece of art piece of the heart of a conspiracy as if every line means something which is lucky because it does end quote so we can find that piece of art which is the promotional image that they put out with this um it has got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven identifiable x-men um we have colossus on one side of the big long table we have storm and nightcrawler with his hands up like he's pleading or something are trying to say that he's not guilty. We have uh, Mr. Sinister sitting at the table with Lady Death right next to him, who is holding not only her scythe, but a uh, sand timer, you know, an egg timer. Um, not sure if that's meant to be for him. Or Exodus is right behind her. He has a flaming crown around his head. There is a empty chair with the Phoenix logo on it with magneto's helmet on the table where his spot should be so maybe lady death killed magneto we have um sebastian shaw emma and kate on the other side of the table or other end of the table and then there is it looks like they're interacting with the other figures while xavier mystique and destiny seem to be having a conversation among the three of them 
On the ground in front of the table, we have some little slug-like dude, something that I would identify as a cigarette butt. It's definitely not an accident. And it's also sitting in a pile of wine. Um, so there's that. We have Jean Grey's Marvel Girl mask, and then Cyclops's Cyclops eyepiece on the ground in front of the table. Behind the table, there is, I'm just describing, you can look at it yourself, I'm just going to keep describing this. Behind the table, there is uh, one of the Krakoan gates, looks like it's looking at Mars, where we have a celestial something burning out of the sky to Mars. I'm guessing this is not a comet, I'm guessing it's a being. Uh, behind that, we have four creatures, well, three creatures, um... Lockheed is behind Kate there, uh, but behind the doorway, kind of off to the side, we have two alien-like creatures. One looks a bit bug-like, the other looks a bit lizard, amphibious-like, and then a third being, um, which would appear to be a cloaked figure covered in galaxies. So, cool stuff, cool stuff. Um, looking at the table, trying to see if there's any other symbolism. There's bread by Colossus, which I feel like is just be makes sense because, you know, I'm sowing wheat for the motherland. That was not even, I don't know what that voice was. Um, there's pie. There's sunglasses in front of Destiny. Oh, Mystique is holding some red eyeballs. That's definitely going to mean something. Um, around the gate, there are some words. One's is Seeker, one is Enigma. I think that's all we can really see of that. Uh, so that's clearly going to mean something about something. Uh, let's see, any other symbolism? I'm sure the physical body structure of how people are, um, the body language, I I'm sure that would say a lot too to somebody who knows that better. Colossus looks very stern, some people look very defensive, some people look very pleading, some people look very angry. Um, let me know who you think is gonna die or is already dead. Um, are they saying that that's Magneto's dead, that's why the chair is empty, but there's a phoenix on the chair and their masks are on the ground. There's a lot going on in this and I love it! Great job Mark Brooks and great job the creative direction from Karen Gillan, I assume. Moving on to the final section of our news, the rumors, um, one, two, three points of the rumors. First being, there will apparently be a The Losers Amazon show. The Losers is based on a Vertigo comic called The Losers, um, but it was originally put out post-comic um, as a movie in 2010 starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Zoe Saldana, Chris Evans, and Idris Elba. Yes, it really does have that cast. If you haven't heard of it, I'm not surprised because it did not do well in theaters, um, but has um, has really gotten like a cult following recently um, the last couple of years as people go back and watch it and they're like, wow, what a cast. And then they watch it and it's actually a really good movie. So um, wouldn't be super surprised if this ends up being real. It is apparently serving as a sequel to the original film, but this information is all coming from the quote insider, Daniel Richman. We've talked about him on the podcast before. He is a Disney insider. Um, 
or I think he's just a Hollywood insider, I'm not really sure what he calls himself, but he has a Patreon that if you subscribe to, he'll tell you secrets. And obviously people put the secrets online. Um, His stuff tends to end up being having some truth to it at the very least. So take this with a bit of a grain of salt, but see it as being a pretty probable thing that's coming in the future. Um, I don't want to end things on a bad note, so we're going to do this one next, and that is that Natasha Wright, that's not her name, Letitia Wright, is apparently quitting the MCU. This is a bit of a ridiculous bit. <laughs> well, Letitia Wright plays Shuri in Black Panther and subsequent films. She is an anti-vaxxer, and I just... Uh, uh, I guess she was her on set of Wakanda Forever, the sequel to Black Panther, and she went to England to recover, and then they put laws in place due to COVID that you can't be in, you can't you can't travel to the U.S. without your vaccination status being fully vaccinated, um, and she is not doing that, and so there's all this like, will they, won't they, with firing her, and the other day there was rumors. Uh, very firm rumors that she has just decided to turn away from her god buttload of MCU money she could be making to avoid getting vaccinated. Um, uh, There's a lot of really dumb discussions going on about this. I I don't think there should be any reason that they should be even considering recasting T'Challa of the movie universe that we know. They're probably going to recast him from a different universe if I really had to put money on it. Um, but then going alongside this, there are also rumors, I believe from the same guy as the loser show, um, that we might be seeing the Adora Milaje in high tech suits, very similar to the black Panther suits that may or may not be confused as black Panther suits when they first make an appearance on screen. So, um, whether or not Shuri ends up as in the MCU, there's plenty of, people who can either replace her as an actress or uh, as a character, basically, and pick up that role she would have taken otherwise. And because I wanted to end things on a positive note, here is a positive rumor um, that is probably going to be legit because it is from the same source as the Guardians of the Galaxy Adam Warlock rumor. This rumor is that good old Phi Lavelle is showing up in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Like I said, this is from the same source, apparently, that said that Adam Warlock is going to be showing up in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 or that James Gunn is looking for someone to cast for him, which ended up being true, um, although he did not cast Zac Efron. Or what I would even call as a Zac Efron type. So um, maybe a little bit of discrepancy here, but more than likely she is going to be appearing in the MCU around that time. I really, really like the, the character of Phylavelle. Um She has gone by a number of different names, Quasar, Captain Marvel, even Martyr. Um, hasn't always had a good positive history, but she was first created uh, by Peter David and Paul Azaceta, I probably said that wrong, I'm sorry. But she first appears in the 616 in Captain Marvel Volume 5, numbers 16 and 17, which is 2004, during the era that Genus Bell is Captain Marvel. Genus Bell is her brother. Her name is taken from uh, the classification of life phylum, similar to her brother Genus's being taken from the classification genus. 
yada bing bada boom you get it okay uh like genus their mother her mother was elysius who was a genetically engineered woman uh who was loved by the late and great marvell she was created by something called isaac it's an acronym a i s a a c which was a sentient computer system on the moon of titan she fell in love with Marvell and aided him, Drax, and Rick Jones in opposing the computer, Isaac. Following that final battle and defeat of Isaac, Elysium and Captain Marvel spent weeks together on Titan. And then when Marvell died from Blackend, Elysius arranged to have his child conceiving a boy genetically from Marvell's DNA and hers put together, uh, and then aged him up. Uh, Elysius made Philavel as second as a second child, which wasn't really a thing until Genus deleted Earth and then undeleted Earth with little additions, a few additions here and there, including Philavel. Um, one of the big differences between the two of them that are made in the Captain Marvel series is that she's actually superior to him, um, though she is younger women mature faster and he was driven mad by the cosmic knowledge that his creation basically gave him while his sister was not fuck yeah women um <clears throat> phyla is married canonically to moon dragon who is heather douglas they first see each other in issue 20 and she first admits to liking moon dragon in issue 25 of that captain marvel number or volume 5 run uh, she is a major character, and still talking about Phyla, through Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest, which are both events. She is a major member of Guardians of the Galaxy at various times, and does eventually die in the 616, but she has been back in the Marvel Universe recently as a different realities version of Phyla who came to our reality during Infinity Wars, which was... A headache of an event, to be honest. Um, so now in the 616, uh, Phyla is from a different universe, and the Moon Dragon of 616 merged with her wife, the Moon Dragon from that other universe, um, and are now one being, which is kind of complicated, but I wish he would stop writing it as an just let them be wives again. Just let them be wives. Just let them be wives. But anyway, be excited that Phyla's gonna join the MCU. So then we move on to the comic book picks. These are picks that came out from the comic release from the past week, the 7th and 8th of December. I'm going to be talking about Dark Knights of Steel, number 2, Inferno, number 3, Hellions, number 18, Devil's Reign, number 1, and Daisy, number 1. Starting off with Dark Knights of Steel, number 2, we pick up where the last issue left off with Jor-El being killed by Green Arrow's arrow with assistance from who they're called the green man who is a green lantern it was done by the order of the king of the neighboring kingdom jefferson pierce aka black lightning batman who we just learned is Jor-El's son with martha wayne is enraged at the murder of his father and lets loose laser beams across the sky before charging horseback into the forest and chopping off green arrow's shooting arm and taking him as prisoner at the neighboring kingdom, the green man tells Constantine of the news, who reports it back to King Pierce. He's watching his children practice their various abilities, which it seems are all called magic in this realm. 
Also, there is another difference here in that Jefferson has three kids, not just two. He has the comic regular and Nissa and Jeff Jennifer as handlers of thunder and lightning as traditional, respectively. Uh, and then he has a son named Jacob who seems to control rain, noted as the first Pierce in generations with that ability. Together, they are the kingdom of storms. Now, Jefferson does have two daughters in the comics, but the closest thing that he comes to having a son is by being a close mentor to Static Shock, whose real name is Virgil Hawkins. There was a time where it was tears Jefferson might be his true father, but that was in story debunked. Back at the El Kingdom, court has gathered. We meet General Waller, who is based off comic book secret agent of sorts and sometimes leader of Argus and the Suicide Squad handler, Amanda Waller. Waller was also a John Byrne creation before he returned to Marvel for Sensational She-Hulk, just a fun fact. Alfred in the court is the last survivor of an unnamed war, but when Bruce is asked for his opinion by Harley, Kal-El gets offended, saying that it's not Bruce's place to give an opinion as this isn't a family matter. Well, then I guess Harley and Waller and Alfred are all family too. Mm-hmm. So punishing the son for the sins of the father here seems pretty standard. We also finally get to meet the Amazons in this issue, living on what they, I guess, call just the Amazon Island. Lois arrives as an emissary, uh, I thought, from the Elves Kingdom, but then it turns out I believe that she actually works for the Amazons. And she tells Queen Hippolyta the bad news and then heads to Diana on the training fields, or at least that's what we think is going on. But she's actually headed to speak the news to one Z Zala Jor-El, a princess of the Elves, Jor-El's daughter. To make it even more interesting, when she turns to tell Diana that she must leave, they embrace in a passionate kiss. And this makes so much sense. A lot of readers and fans alike say that it just makes sense to have Diana and Clark Kal-El be together in the comics because they are both superhuman powered and therefore are a match physically. But then why do they never work out? Lois, for one, I would say, but then Clark is a, he's a, he's a man. Um, he is the male of his species, and Diana comes from an island of women-loving women. So, by God, it makes perfect sense that should a female Kryptonian of similar physical age range, presumably, show up, it would be her who would be Diana's perfect match, passing very gracefully over any issues that she would have had with Clark in their potential coupling. So, what I'm saying is, this fits perfectly, and I love it. Now, Zala is blonde, and I have to wonder because of that if she is a true Jorel or daughter of Jorel, you know. But she goes and she flies off. Uh, and that's when we kind of get the picture that Lois is essentially a spy or investigator of sorts in this realm, which makes a lot of sense based on everything about her. We also get the image that she probably works under the Amazons, not actually either of the other kingdoms, which I do love because I love seeing women supporting women. In the dungeons and the kingdom of the elves, Kal physically forces his way beyond Bruce so he can get into the dungeons to see the archer. And we see that they also have a speedster, a winged person who we can assume is Hawkman, a version of King Shark, some kind of blue horned guy. I suspect he's Mr. Freeze as an ice giant, but let me know if you have a theory of your own. Uh, and then I believe either Gar or Killer Croc and a talking monkey that I honestly don't care enough to figure out who he was. And sorry if there's a little noise in the background, my husband is in his office gaming online. 
Um, but as Bruce and Harley walk off, they talk about the situation and it becomes super clear that Harley is either working for the Pierces already or will probably end up betraying the elves to them at some point. Oh, and the elves are rounding up anybody with magic and imprisoning them. So there's that too. And then we have uh, Clark's conversation with Green Arrow is, is really uneventful. Um, but his sister Zala's actions, or rather who we believe is his sister at this point, much less uneventful. She goes straight to the Pierce's castle, and as I kind of predicted, because they created this character from not the comics, probably just to kill him off. It seems they did. Uh, she takes Jacob from his bed, Pierce's son, high into the sky, and drops him. Um, so yeah, they did just create the son to kill him off. But all I can think now, obviously that's going to cause issues between the two kingdoms, Diana, though, Diana will not be pleased. Um, yeah, no, that's that's going to cause issues with her girlfriend for sure there. Um, I, this is issue two also, and this is going to be, what, 12 issues, I think? Yeah, 12 issues. Um, this is going to be so much fun. This story is going to be awesome. And I'm just flipping through the reviews of it on this comic site, and it has so many good reviews. That is so exciting to see. Um, this is by Tom Taylor and Yasmin Putri. Absolutely stunning work from both parties. Tom Taylor has really found his niche with these kind of Elseworld-styled stories. It is impressive how good each one of them he continues to put out is. So um, I will definitely be keeping up with Dark Knights of Steel all the way through. Inferno number three is Hickman's second to last issue of anything he has been doing for the X-Men period. And I'm still mourning what we could have had. Again, don't feel sorry for Hickman. He will be fine. I feel sorry for us, the readers. <laughs> There was a fair amount to take away from this issue when it comes to the villains of this miniseries, um, but my personal favorite reveal was the first one, which pretty much encompassed the first half of the issue. We, we get to see the history of Doug's knowledge of and relationship with Krakoa, which is pretty awesome um, and interesting in itself, but it is a tad different than what we've been led to believe thus far. We know that Warlock had been sharing Doug's body part-time in the Dawn of X era, but I don't think we really considered the ramifications of him having been there as his whole enti own entity the entire time. Basically, what happened was when Doug first started connecting with Krakoa, he had Warlock connect as well. Warlock could eat parts of Krakoa itself and then physically become that part that he consumed, ultimately merging himself with Krakoa or spreading himself all across the island. With Warlock in place like that from the very beginning, and Doug and the entity of Krakoa being essentially players in, or essential players in Xavier, Magneto, and Moira's plans for their blossoming country, Doug, Warlock, and Krakoa are fully aware of the entire plot from those three players. And as he's seen everything up to the most recent issue, as much as we have and more, he is about to take action. So here's the thing. Doug has easily been one of my top five favorite players in the Hickman X-Men era. Easily. Maybe top three with Magic and Laura and Gabby. So top four. He really hasn't been around since his wedding to Bay the Blood Moon, which again, easily one of my top three moments in all of X of Swords. 
I had been theorizing that he's the upcoming Captain Krakoa character in X-Men, but it kind of looks like that character will be fairly short-lived and possibly a villain in the end, so maybe not. And then he pops up here in this issue, and I find myself worrying for him and his fabulously dangerous wife. Um, and after having looked at that immortal, or the, uh, oh gosh, the new era of the X-Men, the, the, uh, uh, the Destiny of X poster that does not have Doug but does has his wife. Concern. <laughs> Very much concern. <laughs> Please don't hurt Doug. <laughs> um we all yeah, we all, I guess we also learned that the, the Sentinel Sentinel Prime uh chick is uh, she's from the future. Um came to this time period and pretty much messed the hell up uh, as the scientist's body and mind to get him to do what she wanted because from the time that she's from unlike all of the lifetimes that moira saw mutants always win um and with that i kind of feel like the point hickman is gonna end up making with all of this stuff in this hickman era is you can't predict the future no future is certain no prophecy is sound Nothing is unbeatable. Nothing is immortal. Um, and I think that's kind of the point that he's trying to make with all of this is that if Moira lived all those lives um, and only saw the destruction of her kind of mutants, then we meet this other character who only ever saw the destruction of humanity at the hand of mutants. Um, how, how are you going to say that? How are either one of them going to say that one side only ever only ever wins you know or loses um you can't really predict that if if one's so certain one way and the other's so certain the other way how are you going to say one's right or wrong um but we'll see we have one more issue of inferno left and i i think doug's probably gonna die and i will not like it but um uh, moving on to hellions <laughs> hellions was the series finale issue 18 I found this really nice quote wrapping up basically how this goes, how the series felt. It says, the way this book ended is extremely depressing, but how else was it going to go? The Hellions aren't A-lister X-Men and they aren't E-lister nobodies like, with like four super dedicated fans. They're the people that don't get to have happy endings. That does wrap up how this issue went a lot, but what I wanted to talk about for the most part predictably, is the return of Madeline Pryor. Because Maddie does come back as we all knew that she would, but it wasn't good, and it clearly wasn't done in a way that Hickman would have directed because it wasn't taking advantage of how cool of a character she is. It appears to just be simply using her as a device to cause chaos. What makes me say that? She is a really cool character, and if you've read her history and what happens to her actually in the comics, not just the wiki page rundown, you'll see that there are several very easy ways for her to A, get her own life back, or B, give her a plot that actually involves her, not just the loose idea of evil and villainy. Just as a for example, she was, a, she was always a clone from the start, had powers from the start, but she was not always evil. She became evil when a demon called Sim tricked her into thinking that she was in a dream and has her pick out a version of herself to wear around like a costume for a bit in this dream. And she chooses the version of herself that is the most vengeful aspect of her personality, literally saying as she does, well, if it's just a dream, because she doesn't think any harm will come of it. And he implants that personality into her. This means not only that you could bounce it out with other parts of her, it could be removed. 
But no, they brought her back as Maddie in the first outfit we see her in uh, in the X-Men period, which was super weird, in my opinion. Um, and, and she looks in a mirror and we see the Goblin Queen in her reflection, making it pretty clear they're just going to ignore her as who she is and just make her a standard evil trickery plot device, which is very meh. Um, I definitely feel like Hickman could have done a better job with getting her here, but whatever. We'll, we'll see how it goes. We know she's going to be a new mutant, so hopefully Vida Yala does a better job. Devil's Reign number one. I was not really looking forward to reading this. I actually kind of had to force myself to read it because I am... Oh gosh, this has been too many comic events that have been not good. This has been this is this was good for the most part. So uh, it kicks off with Mayor Wilson Fisk making superpowers illegal. Basically, um, you get the Fisk Thunderbolts, who are the female Electro, Agony, Rhino, Shocker, and what's his name? Not Captain America, but the Patriot guy, U.S. Patriot, U.S. Agent. That's the one, U.S. Agent. Um, who has a really funny line when he arrests Moon Knight. He says, Moon Knight, a.k.a. Mark Spector, a.k.a. probably a bunch of fucking names. You're under arrest. <laughs> Which was really funny. Um, let's see. Then Miles is about to be arrested. Cap intervenes. He tries to intervene peacefully, but then ends up knocking out the soldiers when he realizes that if Miles' identity gets out, his family is going to be in danger. So he, he understands priorities. We get violent. Uh, I like True Justice Captain America. <laughs> there is actually also a really, really good panel showing the framing of photos and how they change the narrative. It's Luke standing guard, Luke Cage standing guard with his wife as she tends to their child. And you see the cell phones filming just him ready to fight anyone, just Jessica and the baby, and then other ones with the whole story. And the number one thing that I get from this thing is that City of Fire never should have been canceled. What were they thinking? <sighs> City of Fire never should have been canceled. Also, Reed and Sue are arrested, presumably. Johnny and Ben get the kids out. And then Tony announces he's going to run for mayor. And they had me up until that point, up through that point. And then Fisk is going to run for president. And I just stopped liking it a lot. I, I feel like a certain things happened in our political history over the past amount of time that people just can't stop talking about and can't rehashing. It happened. Please stop making a Cheeto your entire personality. Please stop writing about the Cheeto. Please stop giving the Cheeto airtime. <laughs> this just feels so much like a reference to that and it kind of made me feel a little bit ill <laughs> so everything was really great up until that maybe i'm the only one who feels that way i don't know comic book polls coming out this week these are polls comics coming out on the 14th tomorrow on tuesday and the 15th on wednesday of december um a lot of these i'm not going to bother going into too much detail about them but for the number ones and one shots and specials we will so starting off with we ride titans number one which is coming from vault comics by trey dean and sebastian piri which i have no doubt i mispronounced um it's basically your 
standard kaiju <laughs> apocalypse comic. It says, Kaiju hit hard, family hits harder. Trying to keep your family from imploding is a tall order. Kit Hobbs is about to find out it's an even taller order when that family has been piloting the titan that protects New Hyperion from kaiju for generations. Between a spiraling brother, a powder keg of a father, and a whole bunch of 20-story monsters, she's got her work cut out for her. I'm sorry, that just sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. I will definitely be checking it out. We also have from... Christopher Priest, the writer of the 25 issues of Vampirella, we have Vampirella and Dracula Unholy, which is going to wrap up that run. Uh, includes covers by Lucio Parillo, Adam Hughes, Greg Hedelbrandt, Ken Heiser, Shannon Mayer, Rose Besh, and Q Young Ohm. This is following the fact that Vampirella married the man, the human man, Matt, who was destined to become Dracula. Um, so I guess now they're going to Transylvania to try and save him from a high-tech virus and a curse that will make him Dracula, but he has secrets. I don't, I don't know. Artist on this is Donnie Hadiwood Jaja. I'm so sorry. Uh, and this is from Dynamite. <laughs> Tis the season to be freezing. Number one is a one-shot Christmas special from DC. Uh, the stories I have here... Let's see, Robin and Mr. Freeze in One Snowy Night by Alan Burnett and Paul Dini with art by Jordan Gibson. Polar Boy in, I don't even know who that is, Snow Date by Rich Bernatovec with art by Travis Mercer. Harley Quinn and Blue Snowman in A Change of Heart by Tara Roberts and Eric Battle. Vixen and the Super Pets in The Siphoning by T. Franklin who I believe did something equally adorable recently, and I gotta think about what that was, with art by Yancey Labatt. Bizarro appears in Bizarro vs. Seasonal Depression, Dawn of Climate Change. That's hilarious. This is by Amadeo Torturo, with art by Jason Howard. And then we have Flash of Captain Cold in The Holiday Pact by Bobby Moynihan, with art by Pop Mon. And then Firestorm and Killer Frost in Bizarro Love Holiday by Jeff Trammell with art by Justin Mason. And finally, the Justice League... Q, Justice League Quarterly? Justice League... I'm not sure what JLQ is. Uh, but they're appearing in Break the Ice with Andrew Wheeler and art by one of my favorites, Megan Hetrick. So that's... Um, if you have any interest in those characters or those creators. Also, the cover is by David Nakayama, with a variant cover by Pop Mon. Demon Days Rising Storm number one is part four of five of Peach Momoko's Demon Days Saga. They're coming out one every three months, and they are written and drawn by her. Um, one thing that she posted about, um, I well, I think they had it in the last issue. I'm not, I don't really remember where I saw it, but they talked about how her process for writing it is she'll write very simply what's happening, uh, in Japanese and give it to the script writer who then goes in and writes it conversationally, um, so that you actually have stuff in the story and not just her very simplistic, um, just designs and paneling and things. He actually puts in text to kind of help you see what's going on and understand things. So um, it is entirely written by Peach Fromoka. She just has a guy who kind of translates her writing style into conversational English. Uh, this one, Rising Storm, is going to have... We were introduced to them very briefly in the last issue, but the characters of Storm and Thor, as they will be in her universe. Um, Storm appears to be some kind of little chibi goddess, and um, Thor is some kind of 
thunder god i mean that's the same as he is anyway but um what it says about this part four or five is that Mariko Yashida's journey through the mysterious forests of Kurosaki Mountain has brought her face to face with strange and terrible creatures, but she's about to be tested like never before when she crosses paths with literal gods. I believe she's going to have to fight these two characters, so I, my prediction is that they will end up being on the same side in the end. We have covers for this issue, of course, by Peach Momoko herself, as well as Alex Garner, Russell Donovan, Guri Hiru, Mike Allred, and Carl. Andrews. Batgirls number one comes from Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad, a team I'm a bit shaky on, but has art by Jorge Corona who just absolutely kills it. Um, the series Robins notably did get some bad reviews as it started up very recently, um, so it's really understandable how a lot of people are a bit hesitant with this one. Um, the solicitation is shockingly long. <laughs> I'm just looking at it now. I'm not going to read it. It's Cassandra Cain, Stephanie Brown, and then you get Oracle. Um, yeah. It'll be fun, I'm sure. My Date with Monsters number two, I believe, is of three, and it's coming from Aftershock Comics by Peter Tobin and Andy McDonald. I absolutely loved the first issue. Um, so I'll go ahead and read the solicitation on this one. It says, what's one more monster in a world filled with horror? A lot, really. When it's as bad as this one, Risa and Croak set off to fight this new terror, even as Risa fights the knowledge that only tr way she can save the world is by falling in love. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. Um, I It's like a crazy anime. I love the series. Other things coming out this week, Batman and Robin number two of three by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. Mirka Andolfo's Sweet Paprika number six, written and drawn by Mirka Andolfo. Wonder Girl number six by Joelle Jones, with guest artist Leila De Luca, color by Jordi Valer, and an Art Germ, Stanley Art Germ Lau, variant cover. In this issue, uh, we finally get the moment where uh, Yara meets Potira, who we first met when she was already dead in the underworld during Future State, when Yara goes to try to save her. So, we know that while this is a friendship destined for tragedy, it is an incredibly important relationship in Yara's Wonder Woman development, so I'm very excited to see what happens here. Eternals number 8 continues from a bit of a devastation at the end of the last issue, where Thanos is still Eternals Prime, or Prime Eternal, <laughs> um, and things are generally bad. Uh, written by Kieran Gillen with art by Asad Ribic, absolutely fantastic creative team for Eternals. What Kieran Gillen is kind of doing with Eternals is what I would I would compare to a much 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 smaller scale of what Hickman did with the X Men. And finally, Excalibur number twenty six is the final issue, which is coming from Teeny Howard and Marcus Toe. Um, Otherworld is falling, Saturnin is dying, Betsy Braddock makes decisions, and Arthur is taking over the world or something. I honestly haven't been keeping up, but uh, it's the last issue, so I felt like it was worth mentioning. That at last brings us to Hawkeye episode 4, titled Partners, Am I Right? This episode picks up where the last one left off, with Jack pulling a sword on Clint in Eleanor Bishop's apartment penthouse. When things calm down, he refers to Clint as the Archer, which I see less as a condescending remark and more as a curiosity of his slight, what is it, French foreign nature. Referring to a bow and arrow as archery isn't what I would consider the average version average person's first choice of words, usually, especially when he has a hero name like Hawkeye to pick from. 
but he chose to say archer, which makes me think that he has a familiarity with the sport and could mean more signs of his past tying together with Clint's. Still, notably, it is the Ronin sword that Jack has, so he's still the biggest suspect that in the murder of his uncle, Armand III. Uh, the cute foreignness of Jack is played up in this episode a lot, including adding a touch stronger accent and having him mix up aphorisms, aphorisms, aphorisms in a cute and humorous way. Um, this really seems to be an effort on his part to seem innocent and harmless when everything is kind of going crazy around them, which tells me he strictly is not either one of those things. Eleanor pulls Clint aside to talk to him about everything before he leaves. She doesn't want Kate in danger and wants Clint to know that she's still very young and naive. So she brings up another good hero with no powers, Natasha Romanov. But she still got killed. And when she brings this up, you know exactly, you know she knows exactly how hard it's hitting Clint. But he does agree this is not a job for Kate, but he can't stop her. So the best that he can do is keep her safe. After leaving the penthouse, we see Clint get... Uh, well, he rescued, <laughs> liberated the Ronin source, so he's got that back. He texts his wife to check on the registry of a company called Sloan Limited. Um, meanwhile, Eleanor is, like, having a- she seems to be stressing out. She's pacing. She leaves a voicemail for somebody, uh, to call her back as soon as possible. I'm still saying it's probably Fisk. But how is he tied into this? Or is it Madam? I, I don't know. When Clint's wife calls him back with the news that she found, she says that Sloan Limited was the front for the tracksuit mafia and that they report to Jack, who launders money for, quote, the big guy. It's Fisk. But then this other guy, this other thing happens. Um, Laura has kind of been talking in code just a bit to not worry the kids in the room behind her but now she stops that and fully switches over to German fluent German why does Hawkeye's wife know German she's from the Midwest who the F in the Midwest is fluent in German and then just coincidentally gets hitched to a superhero just happens to be like this this uh, there was a reason that that was put in there to make her look sketchy or something so yeah Clint's wife it's either Madame Mask or Mockingbird, one or the other. I'm convinced. Um, she does also ask what else from the compound, the Avengers compound, went missing aside from the Ronin suit. Um, and he knows that she's talking about the Rolex. Now, this Rolex has been an odd thing from the start of the show. When the tracksuits break into the underground wine cellar auction episode one, they're originally looking for that same Rolex, but they run into Ronin instead. Why is Clint's wife concerned about it? And how would she even know? How would she even know without having some kind of superhero background of her own? Plus, she says she thought it was destroyed years ago, and he asks her to confirm that. If this was a Hawkeye thing, wouldn't he know more than her? She clearly seems to know more than him in this case. He tells her to check the signal from the transmitter, so I definitely think that this is some kind of, I don't know, maybe West Coast Avengers shit. Later in the episode, Clint says that the watch belongs to somebody that he used to work with, someone who's been out of the game for a long time, but their identity is still attached to the watch, which, again, it's gotta be that she's, she's gotta, Laura's gotta be Mockingbird. 
Also on the note of West Coast Avengers, uh, the apartment that Kate and Clint are crashing in, it does belong to Kate's aunt, whose name is Moira Brandon. And that is actually another West Coast Avengers Easter egg. When Clint was on the team in the comics, their base was in Moira Brandon's California mansion. Back in the show, Kate brings Clint Christmas movies for a marathon showing that she's trying so hard to make him comfortable when he should be with his kids. Some of the best scenes of Jeremy Renner's acting is from the very emotional stuff like like around this time. They realize that they're low on trick arrows and they need to get the others back from the police who did take them as evidence and then they bond over cheap frozen margaritas from a bag, which was very downplayed. But yes, they are drinking alcohol and getting litty in that scene. Uh, And Clint shows and then teaches Kate his trick with flicking coins to their wild targets, which is another scene ripped directly from Matt Fraction and David Aha's run of Hawkeye that they are not being given credit for. Uh, And my husband was the one who pointed out that this scene reminded me of something. Bullseye, as in Daredevil villain who appeared briefly on the Netflix show as a villain working for Fisk against Daredevil. Well, we already know Fisk is going to appear at some point here by the face. We've already seen parts of him. Uh, And we have it confirmed that Netflix's Daredevil, uh, Matt Murdock, will be Charlie Cox in the MCU. And we're going to see him in No Way Home. We know this. I also have the theory that Fisk sent somebody dressed as Ronan to kill Willie Lopez, Maya's dad, after he turned away from him or whatever, uh, and that was not Clint. We also know that Bullseye was the false Hawkeye on the Dark Avengers team during Dark Reign in the comics. So what I'm saying is, what if Fisk, who we first saw in the Netflix show, hires Bullseye, who we first saw in the Netflix show working with Fisk, to be his fake Ronan? In the, in the Disney Plus Hawkeye to kill Willie. I feel like that's super possible. Anyway, uh, back in the apartment, Kate asks Clint what the best shot he ever took was, and his response was real quick, the one he did not take. Uh, after some convincing, he does eventually explain he means the mission that he was sent to kill Nat, and he didn't. Kate understands. He tells her that it was that that Nat was the best that there ever was. He says it's a game of managing loss, doing what he can to be real with her and make sure she knows that this life is not a fairy tale. He says he was trained to hurt people, that his job was to hurt people, and that he was only ever a weapon for shield, and that's tied to him forever. It really makes me think that he's not just talking about Ronan, he's talking about things further in his past that we have not witnessed, like potentially whatever's going on with this Rolex. When he turns his hearing aid off in his sleep that night, or to sleep that night, all he hears is Natasha through the years up until the day that she died. And part of me thinks during this scene that there might not be a way for him to make this better. He might not get over her death. And when I think of it that way, I I can kind of see them killing him off for good at the end of the show. But he would have to do it, it would have to be because for someone, the way it was for him when she did. Anyway, the Russians top that we see Kate wearing in the morning, it's a white top with a black design on it. That is a design made by David Aha for the comic run. Again, from the comic to real life, not a penny into his bank account. Kate goes to a LARPer meeting in the park to ask if she can get the arrows back from the cops. The cop we meet is named Wendy Conrad. And later in the episode, we see that her bag says bombshell on it which is a reference to, well, it's all a reference to a comic villain named Bombshell, AKA Wendy Conrad. I'm sure that's just an Easter egg and she's not gonna 
become a villain. <laughs> Clint confronts Kazi in his car, and we learn that Kazi worked as a lieutenant under Willy Lopez for four years and has been under Maya for a few years now as well. Clint says he knows Maya's boss doesn't like the attention she's calling on them with all of this, you know, whoop-de-doo. So he wants Kazi to convince her to end it. The boss, we're assuming again, is Kingpin. When he gets back to the apartment, Grills and the blonde, well, actually the boss is uh, Jack. Uh, when Clint gets back to the apartment, Grills and the blonde cop are there with Kate working on LARPing stuff and making cookies. They all decide uh, the trade will be info and weapons from the cops for materials to make their LARPing costumes from Clint. Plus, they'll make two more for Kate and Clint. So that will be how they get whatever their new looks are going to be. Clint does get an update from his wife that the transmitter, i.e. the watch, is still working and transmitting and says the address of its location. Um, if Maya wanted this thing, well, if Kingpin wanted this thing that has this history of Hawkeye and his wife, potentially, why does he want it? If that's it was just a trap for was the whole thing just to make it a trap because she knew that he was involved and he'd come for it. I or is there something more? I don't know. We'll have to wait and find out. So they go to the address. It was an apartment. Clint takes some time to monologue a plan to Kate and then turns around to find that Kate is already on her way inside, leaving him alone on the roof across the street. I'm willing to bet that the old man she helps into the building with his groceries is somehow comic related, but I can't find any information on it. So Kate gets into the apartment and is immediately surprised by what appears to be strobe lights on the wall and covers them with goo arrows. When she finds the watch, it is tagged as Avengers Compound 268. Now, Avengers number 268 is a comic issue that involves Kang the Conqueror. There are plethora of theories that the person who bought Avengers Tower is Nathaniel Richards, father of Reed, Mr. Fantastic. Apparently, Loki, the TV show, had a version of Avengers Tower in it that said Kang in it, Q-E-N-G, which is from the comics. In the comics, Kang is located in an old Avengers Tower, so the theory is that Kang, Q-E-N-G, Q-E-N-G, will be revealed as owning the tower, the old Avengers tower in the MCU, and they will call it the Baxter Building, which is, of course, the traditional name for the Fantastic Four's Yancey Street headquarters. So back in the show, uh, Kate figures it out, Clint figures it out. The lights are silent alarms, and this is Maya's house. Just then, Clint gets attacked, and not long after, so does Kate. Maya is attacking Kate. Clint is finding a masked assailant, very clearly Yelena in some kind of new stealth suit. She obviously waited until Clint was alone on the rooftop to take her attack, wanted it to be personal and hand-to-hand, -hand, hence not just shooting him. We have one quick, quick zipline right away, and it is a four-way fight. Maya is taken down by Yelena's zappers. Clint outs... Clint... figures out who this might be. When Yelena throws Kate over the edge of the building, Clint panics, thinking that she's fallen to her death like Natasha did, but she's caught on a rope and he's like severely shaking, shaken by the whole thing more than she is. When she gets back up to the roof, she's able to shoot Maya in the shoulder, which is when Maya decides to tap out the whole thing. Uh, and when, when the whole thing is finally over and they've seen Yelena's face and she's run off, um, Clint is now thinking that someone's hired a Black Widow assassin to kill him, which he's kind of right. I mean, the 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 Vanderbilt 
the lady, the fancy lady definitely, I won't know if she, I don't know if hired is the white word, but she kind of sicked her on him for sure. Um, so he decides that he's going to push Kate away emotionally, saying that they're never partners, he's doing this alone. He probably thinks that it's um, the other widows looking for vengeance or someone from Nat's past. He'd be mostly right by that, in part. The next episode is not only the second to last, it is premiering right before Spider-Man No Way Home comes out. If there are any uh, universe-changing events in that movie, we might see signs as early as this Wednesday. Otherwise, the finale is sure to have something involved and it will be a banger. And that's all I got. Thank you for listening to tonight's episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. The next episode is going to be episode 45 coming out on Monday, December 20th, where I will be covering, with spoilers, Spider-Man No Way Home. Also, Hawkeye episode 5, the comic book pick list and pull list. Um, And just as a reminder, I will be doing my first special edition podcast just around the new year. Um, doing an episode on Best in Comics 2021. Thank you again for listening to whatever the portion of the podcast you were able to listen to. We're getting pretty close to the winter solstice here, so the days are getting longer and cold, or shorter and colder, um, and I need to turn the heat on in my house. So until next week, try to stay off Twitter once we hit Thursday, because there will be Spider-Man spoilers online. If you see Spider-Man, For God's sake, don't spoil it for people. I know that What's-Her-Name did spoil the Yelena appearance for people in Hawkeye, which she kind of should have known better, but um, she's new to the MCU crew, so uh, hopefully next time she will wait until Monday, as most other stars of these shows would for the big reveals, because you can't just several hours after it's been out. No, you gotta wait. So don't spoil Spider-Man for people. Don't spoil Hawkeye for people. Don't be a dildo on the internet in general, but get sweaty about comics or whatever the hell your hobbies are. Peace out.